0: We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, we're there in Galatians, chapter number three, and, of course, on Wednesday night, we are making our way through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter, and uh, tonight, we are going, going to cover the first part of uh, chapter number three. We're going to uh, go through verses one uh, through 13, and... I want to begin, of course, uh, like I have been starting on in the book of Galatians, just by reminding you about the the themes in the book of Galatians. When we started this study, I gave you four themes that the Apostle Paul covers in the book of Galatians, and I think it's good to be reminded of those because each one of those comes up over and over uh, in every chapter through the book of Galatians, and I'll just quickly remind you of the different themes. Uh, Theme number one is Paul's authority as an apostle and his authority as and, and apostleship. And, of course, one of the things that is happening, one of the reasons that the book of Galatians is written is because Paul is having his authority attacked as an apostle, and the book of, of Galatians serves as his way of defending himself. The other theme of the book of Galatians is salvation by grace through faith and, and of course, not of works. And the, the way that the apostle Paul's authority is being attacked is because certain people have came in and are teaching that Paul is teaching a false gospel or that he's not teaching a thorough gospel, so they're using that as their way of attacking Paul. So not only is he defending his authority, but he's also defending the doctrine of salvation uh, by grace and not of works, not of the flesh, not of the law. And then, of course, the third theme is the warning and the fighting against the Judaizers. And there is a theme in the book of Galatians where the Apostle Paul is fighting against those who would try to uh, bring the Galatians under the law of Moses and those who want to try to uh, uplift uh, Judaism. And, you know, the book of Galatians was written 2,000 years ago or whatever, Uh, it's an ancient book, Uh, but yet today, even today in Christianity... We have this fight where people uh, want to uplift Zionism and this Zionist, you know, Jew worshiping, Jew loving uh, type of thing. And, and the book of Galatians is, 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 has a theme in it where the Apostle Paul is just fighting that. And of course, these things are connected. It is the Judaizers who are teaching that Paul is preaching a false gospel and attacking uh, his authority. So, he is warning and fighting against them. And then there's another theme, and this one doesn't come up as much uh, in, in in the first part of the book. We'll see it more in the second part of the book. But it is that salvation can bring sanctification through the Spirit. And tonight we're going to see all the, the first three themes in the passage that we're in. We won't see the fourth theme. Uh, that we'll see that in in another passage. Uh, let me go ahead and just give you up front just kind of the three different sections or headings uh, for tonight's. Uh, Bible study, and if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, then maybe you can jot these down, and that way you can kind of see where we're going. I'll give you the outline up front. The first thing we're going to see is the confusion of the Galatians. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 5. Then we will see the uh, the covenant of Abraham. We'll see that in verses 6 through 9, and then we'll end tonight by seeing the curse of the law. We'll see that in verses 10 through 13. So you can have those up front. And maybe that'll help you with uh, the note taking. So we'll start there with the confusion of the Galatians there in verse number one. And I want you to notice how the chapter begins in verse one. Paul begins in a very offensive manner. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. And I want you to notice that that's not a very kind way to address friends. But he is very upset with them uh, because. They are being very foolish. They are being very unwise. These are people that are confused and they are disoriented at this point. And, he, and he's saying to them, Oh foolish Galatians, uh, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Notice there in verse 3, he also says, Are ye so foolish? And, and, and really, Paul is being offensive here and he's trying to, in some ways, he's trying to kind of uh, get their attention and, and maybe offend them a little bit and he's saying, you are being very foolish right now. You are a foolish Galatian. He said, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So we see that the Apostle Paul is dealing with their foolishness. There is some confusion that the Galatians are having. There are some things that they just do not understand and the apostle paul is trying to help them to understand it i want you to notice that there are two things that he is calling them foolish over he's saying you are not wise you're not discerning you're not perceiving some things you're being a fool in regards to a couple of things and and we see that he points those out the first thing is that they could not perceive that all of this was an attack on the apostle paul's authority and remember theme number one of the book is Paul's authority as an apostleship, as an apostle and his apostleship. And that's what he's talking about in verse number one. Galatians chapter three and verse one, look at it. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. And then he says this, who hath bewitched you? He says, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? And that's a very interesting word that is used there, bewitched. It's, it's a, a word that is not used often in the Bible. and In fact, the underlying Greek word that is translated bewitched by the King James translators here is only used one time in the entire New Testament. This is the only place we see this word bewitched. And obviously, we are King James only around here. I just preached at a King James only conference, and we believe the King James Bible is the inspired, preserved, inerrant word of God. And we don't usually talk a lot about uh, the Greek underlying uh, words, but I, I think uh, it's, it's interesting to notice because the word is so unique, uh, both in the English, bewitched, and in the Greek, that it's, it's only used here. And the Apostle Paul is using it in a very specific way, in a certain way. And the only reason I even want to bring any attention to it is because I think it's good for you to understand the point that he's trying to make. The word there, bewitched, the, the underlying Greek word that, it, that is used there, like I said, is only used one time and it is the word baskaino. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't speak Greek. But that's the, the word, and that's how they tell us it's pronounced baskaino. And the only reason I, I bring that up is to say this. That word is used one time in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it, it, the Greek word means to speak ill of one or to slander Or to traduce, which is an English word that means to speak badly or tell lies about. It's a word that is used when you want to say that someone is speaking ill or slandering or speaking badly about an individual. Here's another definition for the word. To bring evil on one by feigning praise. So I want you to understand the word, okay? And then you may not think it's interesting, but uh, f- uh, for, for myself and, and for my wife and for anyone listening to the sermon that is in the ministry, they, I think they would connect with these definitions. It is the process, what the Apostle Paul calls bewitching here, is the process by which you slander one person, you speak evil and, 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 and badly about one person, while also praising the person you're speaking to. So you're speaking praises and, and, and feigning praise to the individual you're talking to. You're complimenting them, you're telling them how great they are, while at the same time talking crap, if I can say it that way, if you don't like my Greek, maybe you like my French, uh, while, while speaking ill or slandering another individual. The word uh, baskaino, the idea is to charm. The reason that it's translated bewitched, because it's this idea of of putting someone under a spell. It, it's this idea that your thinking is so clouded that it seems like, like someone has cast a spell on you. And again, this might not connect uh, a lot with you, but I promise you, if you found yourself in the ministry and you understood what this word bewitched means, it would connect with you. Because of the fact that this is often a tactic that is used by people who attack spiritual leadership, which is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. He's talking to these foolish Galatians, and he's asking them, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? You say, what is going on here? What is happening is that these individuals, these Judaizers coming from Jerusalem, are coming to Galatia, And they are purring the Galatians under a spell. They are bewitching them. How have they done it? Well, they are first praising them and complimenting the Galatians and telling the Galatians how great they are. And at the same time, while they're winning them over with compliments and insincere uh, praise, they are attacking the Apostle Paul and they are slandering the Apostle Paul and they are turning these people Uh, towards themselves they're stealing the hearts of these people while turning them against the apostle paul now the reason this connects so well in my mind with me is because we have seen this happen time and time and time again in the ministry and i'll be honest with you i don't know that it's happening right now i don't think that it's happening right now i don't know uh sometimes you don't find out about these things till 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 after the fact. But I promise you, over the last 12 years of ministry, there have been people that have walked into this church and they have begun to subtly praise and influence and compliment and give gifts and begin to uh, steal the hearts of the people while at the same time subtly talking crap about me and my wife and the leadership and our stance and our position and literally you sometimes you you would look at some of these people and it's like they were under a spell i mean i've i we've had situations where like you you'll spend time with somebody and all they can talk about is just like this one individual and it's like the only thing that comes out of their mouth and it's like oh so-and-so this so-and-so that so-and-so's great so-and-so's amazing so-and-so's the greatest thing to slice bread, and it's kind of like man are you under a spell Did they have have you drink a love potion? Like, I don't understand. Who hath bewitched you? And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. He's looking at the Galatians. He's saying, it looks like you're under a spell. It looks like you've been bewitched. And what he's saying is that they're slandering me while complimenting you and taking over the church. And he calls them, and Paul comes out swinging, calling them, oh, foolish Galatians, calling them in verse 3, are ye so foolish, because of the fact that they are being stupid. They are being manipulated. I remember years ago, I preached a sermon. I think I'll preach it again uh, sometime soon. But I preached a sermon entitled, How to Know When You're Being Manipulated. say, why did you preach that sermon? Because some people were being manipulated. They were bewitched. They were under the spell. And it, to me, it's always funny how people, it's so easy for people to be won over. All, all they need is to be given one cheap compliment. And it's like, you have me. You know, in the ministry and in the work of God, soft hearts are required. We are to be tender. We are to have tender hearts, loving one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In the work of God and in the things of God, soft hearts are required. But you know what's annoying is when people have soft heads. And, and look, this is, and, 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 and what the Apostle Paul is teaching here is things that I've taught and things. I remember uh, preaching a, a, a sermon. I preached it in Boise, uh, but it's the, it's the same same concept I remember preaching a sermon called um the sins of the sympathizers and there's just there's always these bleeding hearts there's always the the soft-headed idiots who are like I can't believe you kicked them out of church they were they were what always telling you how nice you looked always giving you compliments, always giving you gifts while they're attacking the church, while they're destroying the church, I'm supposed to feel sorry about that? Maybe you need to stop being so foolish and wake up. Maybe you need to not be under a spell and not be bewitched. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. Because remember, one of the themes here in the book of Galatians is Paul defending his own authority and he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth. Here's all I'm saying is that Absalom stood at the gate while David, the king, was doing the work that he was supposed to do. Absalom stood at the gate, and what did he do? Complimented the people, talked slander about the king, and stole the hearts of the people. And and the Bible says that those people followed him, and they knew not what they did. Those people followed them because they were simple-minded. That's what the Bible says, and that's what Paul is saying to these Galatians. He says, you're being foolish. He said, are you so foolish? You are bewitched. You've fallen for the tricks. You've fallen for the manipulation. You've fallen for the spell. here's the application that I would make to you is be soft-hearted, but don't be soft-headed. Be careful about always being the bleeding heart and be cl- careful about always being the sympathizer and the one that's always feeling bad and always feeling, hey, maybe you ought to just be loyal to your spiritual authority and, and you ought to give them the benefit of the doubt and realize that maybe if you don't understand everything, maybe you don't know everything and maybe you've been cast under a spell. Maybe you've been manipulated and bewitched. Maybe you need to stop being so foolish. So we see that they're being foolish, they're confused, because they could not perceive that all of this that the Judaizers were bringing against the Galatians was an attack on Paul's authority. And again, I'm not using pastors, whenever I preach like this, people are always like, pastors, there's some problem. We're in Galatians 3, that's why I'm preaching it, okay? Okay. you say, well, see, so you see so upset. You know, it does remind me of, of, of other battles we fought, but honestly, I don't know of any battles that we're fighting. I mean, I could use a battle right about now, because uh, so it's been a while, you know, but um, it's, we're in Galatians 3. But I just think it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, he's just really upset, and he says, you're bewitched. You know, it's just a very unique word, and I don't know that you would grasp that unless you've seen it because I've literally seen church members, here and in other churches, and it's just like, you have been bewitched. You are under a spell. You have just, you know, you drank the Kool-Aid, and and you need to get some smarts and not be so foolish, Oh, oh, oh foolish Galatians. Are you so foolish to believe these things? So we see that there was a, they could not perceive the attack on Paul's authority. But then there's a second thing, which goes with our second theme and it is that they could not perceive not only that this was an attack on Paul's authority but that they could not perceive that this was an attack on Christ's atonement remember the first theme of Galatians is Paul's authority as an apostle the second theme is salvation by grace salvation by grace through faith not of works not of the flesh not of the law Want you notice there in verse 3 excuse me chapter 3 in verse 1 he says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth. And then he says this, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He says, why are you not obeying the truth? Why are you so bewitched uh, to the point where even you should know, he says, before whose eyes? And he's talking about their eyes. He says, you Uh, Before your eyes, Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth and crucified among you. And he's asking this as a question. And I want you to understand what he's saying here. Paul didn't mean that they literally saw the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that that's not true. He's not speaking literally here. What he means by these words is that what he's saying to them is that the truth of Jesus and him crucified and the greatness of his work on the cross, was laid out for them so clearly that they could almost see it. The The idea is that if, if you come to a church like this church, where you're just so clearly taught line upon line, that salvation is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. Once you have it, you can't lose it. I mean, I don't know how detailed we teach that uh, throughout sermons and throughout the years and then for someone to leave here and 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 begin to believe something different like they have to work their way or repent of their sins in order to be saved we would be saying it's so clearly it's been clearly taught to you it's been made so plain he says before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He says, don't you understand that this is an attack on the atonement of Christ? Because if you remember in the last chapter, he gave us that great statement where he says that if you could earn salvation, then Christ is dead in vain. He says, if you could earn your way to heaven, then why did Jesus die? And now what he's telling them is that this whole adding works to salvation is not only an attack on His authority but it's an attack on Christ's atonement Amen. he says before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you and then notice there in verse 2 he says this only would I learn of you and it's interesting the wording there because what he's saying is explain this to me he said I, I want to learn something about you I want to learn something from you this only would I learn of you so he says he says, please please explain this to me Is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. He says, Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And he's referring to salvation. Because now they're saying, Well, you got to get circumcised and you got to. Keep the Sabbath, and you got to keep the Mosaic law, and they're trying to bring them uh, 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 under the law of Moses. So so Paul says, well, well, answer this question for me. He says, this only what I learn of you. He says, when you got saved, and when you got the Holy Spirit of God, because you get the Holy Spirit of God at salvation, he says, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Romans, this term might be familiar to you Romans 10:17 you don't have to turn there where the bible says so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god and here he says receive you the spirit he's asking the question did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith he said did you receive the spirit because you heard the truth of god's word and and faith and because of faith, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word, or did you receive the Spirit because you kept a list of laws? And obviously the answer to the question is that we're saved by faith. When we got saved and we received the Spirit, it was by faith. It was not by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. Then Paul says in verse 3, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect? That word perfect in our King James Bible means complete or whole or to be brought to maturity. He says, are you so foolish? He says, do you really believe that having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And, and the idea is this. He says, do you think that you got saved by faith, but now you're going to finish your salvation by keeping the law? He says, that's foolishness. And in fact, later on in this passage, we're going to see it, he quotes from the Old Testament where the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Look, we're saved by faith, we live by faith, we live from faith to faith, the entire Christian life is a life of faith. And he says, do you really think that you're, you're beginning in the spirit, you'll be made perfect in the flesh? And again, Paul is being sarcastic here, and he's kind of talking down to these people, but the funny thing is that there are people today that literally believe that. There are people who say, well, yeah, you get saved by faith and believing in Jesus Christ. But then once you get saved, then you better live right. Then you got to keep the law. And here's what they're teaching. They're teaching that we begin by faith in the spirit, but we're made perfect or complete by the flesh. Hey, the Bible says that he who hath begun a good work in you, that he is going to accomplish it and he is going to finish it. And it's not something that you and I are going to finish by keeping the law. So he says, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And what he's asking them is this, do you really think that you start the Christian life by faith and that you finish it by the flesh? Do you really think that you start the Christian life by believing and that you finish it by keeping the law? He says, the Christian life is a life of faith. Then he says in verse 4, have ye suffered so many things in vain, if if it be yet in vain? Notice verse five. He, therefore, that ministereth to your to you the Spirit. I want you to notice in verse five. He's going to give an example and an illustration. He says he. He does not tell us who the he is because I think uh, the the application could be many people. He just wants them to think of somebody. He says this. He says he, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit. And then and then he uses because people often you know. We we like to spiritualize things. So when he says, minister to you the Spirit, then he gives an example of what that might look like because he's trying to get them to think of examples, right? He, therefore, that ministered to you the Spirit, and then he says this, and worketh miracles among you. Doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And again, Paul is a very intelligent individual, and sometimes the way he writes is very intellectual, and it can be kind of deep, and maybe sometimes it's difficult to understand, but I want to try to help you understand it. And what he's doing is he's giving a hypothetical. He's saying, if someone is ministering to you the Spirit. Well, how would we know, Paul, if they're ministering the Spirit? He said, "Well, what if they were doing something that could only be done through the Spirit? Like, I don't know, maybe performing a miracle. If somebody was ministering to you to the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, he says, would that person be doing it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, there may or may not have been people among them who were actually doing miracles. Maybe the Apostle Paul himself was uh, doing miracles, and this is a reference to himself." I don't know, and I don't know that anybody knows. But there's enough here of an example for us to maybe just think of someone that might match this, okay? Let's just think of someone who we might know, who's well-known, who's famous, uh, and he performed miracles. I don't know. Who can you think of? Maybe the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Okay, well, let's take that example. He, let's just say, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who ministered to you by the Spirit, because the Bible tells us in the Gospels that Jesus performed miracles through the Spirit of God. In fact, there's a big point of contention in the Gospels about the fact that the Pharisees said that, yeah, he's performing miracles, but he does it by Beelzebub. And Jesus said, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit because what I'm doing, he said, I'm doing through the Spirit of God. So we know that Jesus performed miracles through the Spirit of God. So let me ask you a question. What was the theme that came up over and over and over and over again when the Lord Jesus Christ performed miracles? When people walked up to him and said, I'd like to receive my sight, I'd like you to heal my son, I'd like you to heal my daughter, I'd like you to do this, I'd like you to do that. Did Jesus say to them, keep the law and you'll have it? What did he say over and over? He said, believe. He said, if you can believe. He said, do you believe that I can do it? Often he would ask people, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe in me? Do you believe? What was the power to the spirit and the miracles it was belief what about other people that perform miracles let's let's think about like Moses did Moses did Moses stand at the brink of the Red Sea hold the rod out and said hey everybody let's be good and God will part the Red Sea. No, he said, stand still and know that I am God, is what God told Moses. What, that, that whole thing was an act of faith and believing in the power of God. Every miracle is an act of faith and believing in the power of God. And the point that Paul is making to the Galatians is this. Do you really think you start in the Spirit and end in the works of the flesh? He said, even the greatest miracles still required faith, because the Christian life is a life of faith. So he says, think about Christ or anyone else who's performed miracles. Was that done by keeping the law or was it done by faith and believing? What Jesus often emphasized through his miracles was, believe. Do you believe? If you believe, then it can happen. So we see, number one, the confusion of the Galatians here in verses 1 through 5. What are they confused about? They could not see that this was an attack on the apostle paul's authority he calls them foolish and he says you have been bewitched you are under a spell they could not perceive that this was an attack on christ's atonement that this was an attack on the crucifixion and the atoning work of the lord jesus christ then we have the second section in verses six through nine and here we see the covenant of abraham the covenant of abraham and in verse six we have a portion of scripture that's often quoted, and it's very well known, verse 6. Paul says, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, why does he bring this up? He brings this up because, remember, there, remember the themes of the book of Galatians. One of the themes is warning and fighting against the Judaizers. So he brings up Abraham because the Judaizers are driving their credibility through their physical connection to Abraham. They're saying, we are descendants of Abraham, and that gives us credibility, and they're using that to kind of boost themselves up. They're talking crap about Paul, and they're boosting themselves up through using Abraham. So Paul says, okay, you want to talk up about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. Remember the themes. The Judaizers are coming up, and they're attacking Paul, who's the apostle to the Gentiles, and they're attacking Paul, but they're attacking Paul through the doctrine of salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Judaizers are attacking Paul through the gospel of salvation, lifting themselves up through their their connection to Abraham, and attacking Paul on the doctrine of salvation. So Paul flips this whole thing around and says, okay, if you're so great because you're connected to Abraham, and if you're attacking me regarding salvation, how about we talk about Abraham's salvation? How did Abraham get saved? And we see here in verse 6 that Abraham's salvation is just like that of the Gentiles. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, this is a quote from Genesis 15 and verse 6. You don't have to turn there. But in Genesis 15, verse 6, the Bible says this, And he, referring to Abraham, believed in the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. This is also quoted in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, when Paul says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. The idea is that among the Gentile Christians, the push towards a works-based salvation came from these judaizers who were born as jews and who claimed abraham as their spiritual father or their spiritual ancestor so A- so paul is using abraham as an example of being saved and he says look abraham got saved the same way everyone else gets saved through faith abraham believed god and it was counted to him for righteousness so paul is making the point that abraham's salvation is just like that of the gentiles what does that tell us? It tells us that Paul was not a dispensationalist. Right. Paul did not believe that people got saved different ways and different dispensations. He says, look, Abraham got saved by putting his faith in Jesus Christ. He said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Obviously, in the Old Testament, the name Jesus Christ had not been revealed. But he said, look, he put his faith in God. He said he believed God. He said, David believed God. Everyone got saved by looking forward to the atonement of Christ, the coming Messiah. They put their faith in that. We look back, but we all get saved the same way. Abraham's salvation is just like that of the Gentiles. Because they're attacking him. And they're attacking the salvation of the Gentiles. They're saying, get the idea. The Judaizers are showing up in Galatia, which is a Gentile region, and they're saying, you guys have to get saved by keeping the loss of Moses, and by becoming a Jew, and we're descendants of Abraham, we know what we're talking about. You guys got to keep the covenants that Abraham and Moses and David had if you want to get saved. And Paul is pulling the rug from under them by saying, okay, well, let's talk about Abraham. How did Abraham get saved? Well, according to the Bible, Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, Paul says, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Abraham's salvation is just like of the Gentiles. Now, they would not have liked this, but they would not have minded this as much as they mind verses 7, 8, and 9, because verses 7, 8, and 9 are really probably some of the most offensive verses in the book of Galatians, and not just to the Galatians and to the Judaizers who were influencing the Galatians, but to all the dispensationalists and Zionists today. Because in verse 6 we see that Abraham's salvation is just like that of the Gentiles. But in verses 7, 8, and 9 we see something even more offensive. And it is this, that Abraham's covenant is also for the Gentiles. Because today the Zionists will say that the Jews are God's chosen people. Even though they crucified Christ, even though they rejected Christ, even though the Bible says who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. There's only one group of people in this world that believe in a Messiah and deny that Jesus is that Messiah. That's the Jews. Right. In the book of Revelation, Jesus calls them the synagogue of Satan. That's right. But we're supposed to believe and be told today, oh, well, they have this special covenant with Abraham. And because they have this special covenant with Abraham, they can get away with anything, and it doesn't matter. And they're just the greatest... That's not just what the Judaizers were teaching the Galatians. That's what John Hagee is teaching today. (laughs) That's what dispensationalists and scientists are teaching today. So Paul is really just taking the gloves off in this chapter. And he says, look, not only was Abraham's salvation just like that of the Gentiles, but he says Abraham's covenant is for the Gentiles. Notice what he says, Galatians 3 and verse 7. Remember the themes, warning and fighting against Judaizers. That's what he's doing right now. Salvation by grace through faith. That's what he did in verse 6. Look at verse 7. Know ye therefore that they. Now, if you don't mind writing your Bible, if you like to underline your Bible, maybe underline that word they or circle that word they. He says, know ye therefore that they. Who's the they? He tells us who the they are. They which are of faith. He says, know ye therefore that. Paul's saying to Galatians, I know you know. That they, quote unquote, who's the they? Well, which are of faith? What is that? Today we would call it like this believers, people of faith. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same, who's, who's the same there? It's the they. The same they is what he's saying. They which are of faith, the same, those same people are the children of Abraham. Now the Jews would say, no, 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 we're the children of Abraham. And Paul says, no, no, no. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same. Those same people which are of faith are the children of Abraham. Look at verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. Now, people look at verse 7, they're like, I don't know, you're saying they, I don't know who the they is, I don't know who the same are, I don't know what that's talking about, it's not that clear, I don't think you're right. Okay, well, is this clear? Verse 8, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen? The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. And here's another jab at the dispensationalist, the heathen and the Gentiles getting saved was not plan B because it didn't work out with the Jews. Right. The scripture foreseeing that, knowing that that was the plan, the ultimate plan the entire time, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, not flesh or the works of the law, because God knew that he would justify the heathen through faith. He preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, here's what he said to Abraham, in thee shall all, And these shall all nations be blessed. He didn't say, "In these shall just your descendants, just the Jews get saved. And only the Jews are going to be blessed. Because that's what they teach. They say that only the Jews have the blessing of Abraham. Now, next week, when we continue in this chapter, we're going to annihilate that. And we're going to show that it was not about seeds, but it's about one seed, and it's Christ. But here he's saying, look, God knew that he would justify the heathen through faith. That's why when he preached before the gospel unto Abraham, he said to him, in thee all nations be blessed. Notice verse 9. So then they, who's the they? It's they which are of faith. It's even the heathen who God would justify through faith. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Why is he called Faithful Abraham? Because he was faithful and he's stuck to the end. No, no. He's called Faithful Abraham, we read in verse 6, because Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He's Faithful Abraham because he was Abraham of faith. He believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So then, verse 9, they which be of faith, whether heathen, whether Gentiles of all nations, are blessed with Faithful Abraham. So who's blessed with faithful Abraham? The heathen that are of faith. What do the Zionists tell us? Only the Jews are blessed with faithful Abraham. The unbelieving Jews? Yep, the unbelieving Jews. So I'm supposed to believe that the unbelieving Jews are blessed and have this blessed covenant that comes from Abraham, though uh, they don't believe in Christ and they reject Christ. That's not what the Bible says. Bible says Abraham believed God and then the Bible says that they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. I don't see how you can read these passages and walk away being a Zionist. So, well, how do they do it? They don't read it. They don't read it. Or they're not saved and they don't understand. I don't know how else to explain it. So we saw in verses 1 through 5 the confusion of the Galatians. We saw... In verses 6-9, through nine, the covenant of Abraham. And then in verses 10-13, through 13, we see the curse of the law. Now remember the themes. In this section, the Apostle Paul is going to bring up two themes. The second theme, again, salvation by grace through faith and not of works. And the third theme, again, warning and fighting against the Judaizers. Now what the Apostle Paul does in the next several verses, verses 10-13, 11, 12, and 13. In the next four verses, what he does is he brings up four Old Testament quotes. Four Old Testament quotes in the next four verses. And he uses these Old Testament quotes to teach that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works and to fight against the Judaizers. Because remember, these Judaizers are are all about the Old Testament. They're like... We're from descendants of Abraham, and we think you should follow the Old Testament law. So Paul says, okay, and Paul's the kind of guy you don't want to mess with. Paul is just the kind of guy that when he walked into the room, he was the smartest guy in the room. And you just don't want to go intellectually against Paul, because Paul will uh, demolish each one of your arguments. And that's what he's doing. These guys are saying, we're with Abraham. He said, okay, let's talk about Abraham. Demolishes them. Abraham was saved the same way Gentiles are saved, and Abraham's covenant is for the Gentiles as well. Then they say, well, you got to follow the Old Testament law. So then Paul says, okay, let's talk about the Old Testament law. And in the next four verses, he gives us four quotes from the Old Testament. Let's try to look at them quickly. I've got about ten minutes, all right? So we've got Old Testament quote number one is found there in verse number 10. Galatians 3 and verse 10. For as many, Paul says, for as many as are of the works of the law... Because remember, we just got done talking about they which are of faith, right? Galatians 3, 7. So now we have a different group here. As opposed to they which are of faith, there are those that are of the works of the law. Does that make sense? Verse 10. For as many are as are of the works of the law, as opposed to they which are of faith, are, notice what he says, under the curse. He says, if you are of the works of the law, you are under the curse. And they say, well, the Old Testament, and he says, well, I'm glad you brought up the Old Testament, because I've been wanting to bring up the Old Testament. And Paul says this, for it is written, and he's about to quote the Old Testament. He says, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And you say, well, what does that mean? Why does he bring up that quote? Well, go to Deuteronomy, just real quickly, Deuteronomy 27, the Old Testament, the quote comes from the book of Deuteronomy, so let's look at it, Deuteronomy 27, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 27, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it, and I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly, Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26 is what he's quoting, when he said, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, Deuteronomy 27, 26 says this, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law, I want you to notice these words, to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. This verse was given after a whole list of laws. And then God said, here's the curse of the law. The curse of the law is this. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. The Apostle Paul brings this up in Galatians. And he says, look, for those of you who are of the works of the law. For those of you who are not they which are of faith but who think you're going to be justified and you're going to be saved and you're going to go to heaven by keeping the works of the law. Paul says there's something you need to know about the law. There's something that the Old Testament teaches about the law. And the Old Testament teaching on the law is this, that you are under a curse. Why are we under a curse, Paul? Because the Old Testament says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What What is the point that the Apostle Paul is making? Here's the point. He says, look, technically, theoretically speaking, yes, you could maybe go to heaven by keeping the law. But here's the problem. If you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep the whole law. You've got to keep the whole thing. So this is not really a blessing, Paul says. This is actually a curse because for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's right, amen. Because there is none that doeth good, no, not one. He said, if you want to be one who is of the works of the law, the problem is that you've got to keep the whole law. You can't break it on one point. Whosoever keepeth the whole law, and, and if, if you break it, if you fail, if you mess up at any point, he says, you're not going to make it. Right. That's the curse of the law. So he says, look, you, you you can't keep the law, and that's the curse, is that if you're going to keep it, you got to keep the whole thing, and nobody can keep the whole thing. So then in verse 11, we get quote number two. He says, but that no man is justified by the law. Because he just got done saying, if you're going to be justified by the law, you got to keep the whole law. But that's the problem with the law. It's actually, he says, it's the curse of the law that nobody can keep the whole law. He says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. He said, it's it's evident. He said, it's obvious Everybody can see clearly that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God because no man can keep the whole law. So, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for, then he says this, the just shall live by faith. A quote from the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up, uh, which is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. That is quoted over and over in the New Testament. And the idea is this, the same thing he already brought up. Do you think that you start by faith and end with the law? He says, that's not the case. That's not how it works. He said, the entire Christian life is a life of faith. It begins by faith. You live by faith. You walk by faith. Everything we do is connected to faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So he says, look, you can't keep the law. Let me explain to you the curse of the law. The curse of the law is this, that if you're going to keep the law and claim that for salvation, you've got to keep the whole law, and you can't do that. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. He says, so that's the reason why the just shall live by faith. We can't live by the law. But praise God, God made a way. Through faith. Then in verse 12, he gives us the third Old Testament quote. He says, and the law is not of faith, but, and what he does is he quotes the Old Testament. He doesn't say it there, but he's, it's like he could say, for it is written, the man that doeth them shall live in them. He says, the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. If you kept your place in Deuteronomy, go to Leviticus real quickly. If you just go backwards past numbers into Leviticus, Leviticus chapter eighteen, we see uh, the the quote, the quotes from Leviticus eighteen five. Le- Leviticus eighteen five, he says, "Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord." So he says, "Look, if you're going to keep the law, you're going to have to live in it." He's like, but the problem. He said, like I've already explained, is that there's a curse associated with the law. The curse is that if you're going to try to keep the law, you have to keep the entire law. So then, keep your place there in in, in Deuteronomy or Leviticus. We're going to come back to Deuteronomy. Go back to Galatians 3 and verse 13. This is the last verse we're going to look at tonight. We have Old Testament quote number four. He says, Christ... Because remember, he just got done explaining to us the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? The curse of the law is this... And if you're going to use the law and and that's going to be your way, your avenue into salvation, then the, the trick is you've got to keep the whole law. You've got to keep it all perfectly. And he says that's the curse of the law, that you cannot, that I cannot keep the law. So then in verse 13 he says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He said we don't have to try to keep the whole law. We don't have to keep the law to go to heaven. Salvation is by faith, through grace, not of works, not of the law, not of flesh. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man, everyone that hangeth on a tree. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 21, 23. If you'd like to look at it, we can look at it quickly. Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is the curse of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now remember, when we started the sermon, I said that this was all an attack on the the Apostle Paul's authority, and this was all an attack on Christ's atonement. That's where Paul began in verse 1, and this is where we're going to end in verse 13. Where Paul says in Galatians three thirteen, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Salvation is this that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Salvation. Look, either you get to heaven by keeping the law, but that'll never happen because you cannot keep the law, and the curse of the law is that you have to keep the whole law. Or Jesus takes on the curse. Because he actually kept the whole law and cursed is uh, everyone that hangeth on a tree and he hung on a tree and he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he says, look, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus. The, the, the line that crosses through Genesis and Revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we're going to see that even more clearly uh, next time we're in the book of Galatians as we continue through this passage. It becomes even more clear later on in this chapter But the Apostle Paul makes it clear that we cannot be saved by grace, that we cannot be saved by keeping the law, excuse me. We're saved by grace, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something He paid for on the cross. And He's defending his authority here against, and I just want you to understand kind of why, because it might seem a little random, but what is the connection? He keeps bringing up the Jews. He keeps bringing up salvation. He keeps bringing up uh, his apostleship, but it's connected in this sense that the Jews are showing up, attacking his authority by attacking him on the gospel. So he's defending those three things and bringing those three things and really schooling them on all three things. Um, in the book of Galatians. Let's bow our heads and I will pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we love you. We thank you for this passage of Scripture in the book of Galatians. It's so clear. Lord, I pray you'd help us to just be confirmed and affirmed in these things. The Bible is is a book that we can understand. The Holy Spirit within us can help us understand it. It can help us learn it. And we don't need anybody to try to confuse us. Help us not to be like the Galatians who were confused and being foolish. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us.